This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Not rain, not snow, not... Wait, what's the you, the yep, look postal it up. service? Not, uh, not swarm of locusts. Uh, uh, motto, motto. Is not one. raining frogs. Uh, neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. In that case, that's us doing a podcast for you. Hello. Every week, one of us reads a book that we've never read before, and we tell the other person about it. And gloom we of tell you about it. Gloom of night is gloom of really. Night. I've gotten I've gotten some some post office deliveries pretty late, <laughs> and the gloom of the gloom of night does not stay those couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's fair. I just mm-hmm. did a post officer write that, or did someone write that about the postal service? I mean, it is on the USPS. It's a, on about.usps.com. It is as like a PDF from 1999. So I don't know <laughs> if it's like, I don't know if the Louis DeJoy era post office is more like, eh, I mean, sometimes snow, sometimes rain, sometimes yep. heat and gloom of night. <laughs> but we'll get to it when we get to it. Yeah, we'll get to it. <laughs> uh, we're going to get to the book this week. I read it. Oh, did you know that on facts.usps.com slash no dash official dash motto, it says that's not the motto. <laughs> What's the motto? Put a stamp on it? There's no motto. Oh. It says, uh, it's no, it's not this. And then there's the quote. And then it says, but we certainly appreciate the sentiment. Oh, my God. And the words are engraved on the front of the James A. Farley Post Office in New York City, uh, taken from an ancient book by herodotus what yeah so not the motto he of the never postal, even but it is... met the postal service <laughs> but he inspired it by saying that really <laughs> awesome thing about couriers who wouldn't be stayed from their appointed rounds or whatever so people on the pony express being like why don't they write herodotus about me mm-hmm. come on yeah i'm herodotus <laughs> bunch of guys standing up i'm herodotus <laughs> i'm herodotus that would be a different movie <laughs> i read a book Called the mm-hmm. Three Body Problem mm-hmm. by Lu Sushin or or Sushin Lu. Yeah, uh, his the sur the surname right is Lu, and yes. so in his English in the English translator versions, it's flipped from what what it is when in his Chinese published works. But sure, uh, it was a Patreon recommendation in the previous iteration of Patreon recommendations. John, thank you, John who said, I'd love to hear you discuss the three-body problem. I wasn't really much of a, quote, hard sci-fi guy myself, but this whole trilogy absolutely blew my mind. This is Mm -hmm. the Remembrance of Earth's Past trilogy by Mm -hmm. Liu. Uh, But I think people just kind of refer to it as the three-body problem books. People people do, yeah, like the three-body trilogy. I think you call it the three-book problem, probably. Oh, if you don't like them? Mm-hmm. You probably would. Um, <laughs> I had heard of this book. I have a vivid memory of, uh, like, probably not long after it came out in the West. Uh, we'll talk about the translator Ken Liu, Ken Liu as well. Um, I remember a, a buddy of mine being like, "I'm reading this cool book about aliens, and it's not an adventure story. It's hard sci-fi." And I was like, "That's mm-hmm. interesting." And it, mm-hmm. he's like, "And it's from China, and it's kind of novel that this book is out and doing so well over here." And I was like, "That's interesting." And then I had a book podcast for like almost ten years, and never, mm-hmm. and he never really, never about did it. anything about <laughs> it. Uh, but here we are, and I'm glad I read it. Yeah, I'm curious to dive into hard sci-fi because, like the the 
the line that separates hard sci-fi and soft sci-fi traditionally is that hard sci-fi is trying to be based in science, like real world scientific principles. Yeah, sure. And soft sci-fi is like, what if we had a magic beam that could transmit people from one place to another? What if we just kind of made it up? And you see the and force sometimes is technology, sometimes the technology yes. will catch up to where we are and sometimes it won't. Okay. <laughs> like we have iPads now, but we still don't got those transporters, do we? No. No, and we we still have scarcity, which I understand mm-hmm. is a thing that Star Trek solved. Yeah, no, there's no money except when they're dealing with, um, I like Jewish coded <laughs> aliens who listen, who you, really <laughs> like money. I get. Let's listen. Gene Romberry did pretty good. I'd like to see you do better. Asterisk, asterisk. Um, <laughs> so this again, this is the first book in the Remembrance of Earth's Past trilogy. It was originally published serially uh, in a sci-fi magazine in China called Science Fiction World or Sci-Fi mm-hmm. World. Yep, uh, in 2006. Yeah, and then it was published in China in 2008. And then I have the publication date in the U.S. is 2014. Is that the one that you have as well? Yeah, that's what I have okay. from the, of the translated version. Sure. Um, what else do we need to know about our author and or translator, Andrew? I mean, the the, the thing about uh, uh, Sujin Liu that we can talk about is he, so he was born in 1963. The mm-hmm. Chinese Cultural Revolution starts in 1966. Sure. Uh, so his parents sent him to live with relatives elsewhere to keep him away from violence that happened during that that's a, that a uh that's the chairman mao thing you know that guy yeah and he'd like been around for a while but then was mm-hmm. like mm. what if i tried to purge all remaining uh capitalist and traditionalist elements from my society yeah what if guns what if i did that yes. so he so he did that Pretty bad. um and that's that is a that that experience of being separated from his family and witnessing this government violence is like foundational to this work as i understand yep. it. uh there's a so there's a piece in the new york times magazine uh called how chinese science fiction conquered the world which is a an interview with ken Liu. <laughs> so he is some he is a uh he's he writes his own he is a, a china born american author as opposed to to sushin lu who's a chinese author mm-hmm. um and he is, you know, he's written a lot of his own stuff. He's won Hugo and Nebula Awards. Uh, he writes the Dandelion Dynasty, which is this, this big thing. Okay. Um, and, but he's also like this a prolific translator, partly because of the notoriety that he got for translating the three-body problem in the first place. Mm. Um and he is sometimes referred to as Little Lou to distinguish him from, from Sushin, Big Lou. who is called Big Lou. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'd heard about Big Lou. <laughs> Big Lou, you know, it's a it's a name in books. It's a name in like pizza, probably. <laughs> like I, I like knowing I could order a pizza from Big Lou's while reading a book by Big Lou. Hey, that makes me happy. <laughs> I, I missed out. I should have done that. Uh, but this this piece talks about uh, the. Translation of three body problem. And, and so uh, Ken Liu is reading this this book and dealing with how like all over the place the timeline is like it's taking place on this other planet and also Spoilers. In, in like at, at, at like multiple places on a timeline within China. And he identifies this this story about the cultural revolution like halfway into the book. Yeah. And he he says to uh Zushin Lu, like, hey, what if we I think the the book would be helped if we took this flashback that was in the middle of the book and moved it back to the beginning. And that is that that I think that is often a good note. You know? <laughs> like I think we made I think I made that note uh, on the on Cast and Shadow like literally last week. Yeah. Like, what you if had you took a lot all of this flashback about the stuff? Order. And, yeah, what if you like move what if you told the story in order? <laughs> and uh and he was expecting to be rejected because he was expecting an author to be like, no, I wrote it the way I wrote it for a reason. And you're just going to translate it and shut up. And Sushin Liu was like, no, this is kind of how I wanted to do it in the first place. When he originally published this book, the his publisher saw this cultural revolution stuff and was like, you know, I don't know if this is going to get by chinese censors but if we moved it like all the way to the middle of the book maybe they won't notice like they're not gonna read past the beginning right yeah they're gonna read it and they're like oh this seems hard i'm not gonna read all the way this seems fine i don't see any problem with this that's an interesting note we'll get into it when we talk about the the plot of the book i found the beginning of this book very compelling 
and I am kind of amazed that that is mm-hmm. not how the author originally wrote it. I think I saw the quote in that article. That's how he originally wanted it to be. Yes. It's just not. It's not how it was originally published because of yeah. I other, think other stuff. He said. I think in that article he's quoted or or. Or maybe they quote him talking somewhere else saying like, yeah, if you want to read my, like, go read that version of my book. Like, mm-hmm. That's the better version. <laughs> yeah. Which is just an interesting note. But it's, this is a, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about how this like uh, Chinese science fiction translated into English is, yeah. a, is a genre we haven't touched upon much no. in very nearly 600 episodes yeah, yeah. of our podcast. Um, so this, you know, we'll link it on on social, but this article, this interview with Ken Liu is, is interesting because it talks to him about the, like, the need to like, both exporting this culture while also trying not to uh, to, to run afoul of, of censors or, like, to push censors in... in like to push back against what they are censoring in, in, in the right ways. Like it just it is a it's tough. It sounds like a tough job. Yeah, he sounds like he wants to protect the authors he's working with. Mm-hmm. Um, it also sounds like he does mention a little bit just about like culturally and generationally. Um, you mentioned how um, Sushin Lu is like you know born just before the Cultural Revolution. The factors heavily into this book, and then like. All of this like technological advancement that happens in the era after the Cultural Revolution and the economy spinning up and just like all of these Chinese authors looking to science fiction. This is what Ken Liu is arguing, kind of looking to science fiction to process a lot of this stuff, to comment on the changes in their in their country and in their society. Um, and that, yeah, some of that is going to be fine by the people mm-hmm. in Chinese government reading those books and some of it is not. Yeah, here's a, here's a quote from the the article. Uh this is about Ken Liu. Uh Liu has also grown adept at navigating political minefields, finding ways to transmit writers political or social critiques without being too direct. Some of the writers Liu translates use the framework of science fiction to explore the dystopian consequences of China's rapid economic and technological transformation, setting a story in the distant future or on another planet in order to tackle taboo issues like the lack of social freedoms, the exploitation of migrant workers, government land seizures, economic inequality and environmental destruction. So very like a, a lot like, you know, like the, the twilight zone, star Trek genre of science fiction here, where you use like the distant future as a metaphor for stuff that's happening yep. now, but with a more ominous, like backdrop. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Lu has won China's galaxy award like nine times he won this won the hugo which was the first was the first foreign language novel or the first chinese novel to win the hugo at least mm-hmm. um yeah he won that in in 2015 uh won the 2017 locus award for death's end which is another it's the third novel in this yeah the yeah. third the third novel in this the three novel problem trilogy <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if i if I wind up reading more of this series, I don't know why the second novel was translated by a different dude, Joel Martinson. It sounds like Ken Liu is just too busy. He's just busy. He's got a lot going on. <laughs> I would be interested to know uh, how the style is maybe a little different, but yeah. Um, but yeah, um, and it was uh, there was a Chinese movie adaptation. Um, Oh, I wanted. I did want to say that among other things, like uh, Sushin Liu's background is like as an engineer and has like yeah. all sorts mm-hmm. of, you know, hard science training, which I'm sure mm-hmm. came in uh, help for this book. Sounds um, hard, but yeah, there's, <laughs> uh, there's a Chinese movie that got completely memory hold by the production company. They made it, and then it's never going to be released. Apparently, was that for uh, what? 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 What did, did HBO make this movie? <laughs> Oh no! They said that it was bad, but I don't did know. Make, did they make this movie for HBO? Well, they so they did that's, an animated. That's a little funny joke. An animated <laughs> series was made and a TV adaptation in China, and then um, there was a Netflix adaptation mm-hmm. that has yet to be released. But funny, you should say HBO, Andrew, because who do you think uh, are behind it? 
This is HBO? The Game of Thrones boys. Oh, oh boy. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm sure that'll be fine. Yeah, um, no, I'm well, you know, what, what the important thing is that somebody talk them out of their, <laughs> their show conf- about the Confederacy, <laughs> which maybe they maybe they talked themselves out of it or maybe they were talked out of it by like a lack of money and buy-in <laughs> from anyone. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, let's take a quick break, and then I'll tell you about all the science in this book, I guess. Andrew, I've got all these bits and bites, and I don't know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. I'm connected to these tubes, and I got a bunch of information and nowhere to put it. Yeah, it's, I mean, talk about problems, am I right? You I've got, got three bodies over here. Mm-hmm. Three bodies of work that you want to make separate websites for. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a three body problem if I've ever I heard about one. Well, if if you the listener also have a three body problem about your three bodies of work that you want to make a website for, I think you should make a website with Squarespace. Yeah, Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites. They give you beautiful drag and drop tools, templates, twenty four seven award winning customer support. And you never need to code anything. You don't need to know anything about code. You don't need to know how to spell code. Like it's so you far don't. removed from needing to open up Notepad and edit the HTML like we did in the old days. <laughs> Forget all of it. <laughs> yeah. And I don't even, we're not supposed to mention competing products by name. I don't know if Notepad counts. <laughs> <laughs> Probably it doesn't. Anyway, here's some stuff we like about Squarespace. Uh, they give you email campaigns that you can use to grow and engage your audience Create powerful email content that matches your website with your existing products, blog posts, and logo so your messaging is consistent and effective. You can support your cause by gathering contributions with PayPal, Apple Pay, Stripe, and Venmo. You can gain powerful insights into who's visiting your site and how they're interacting with your content with in-depth website analytics tools. They show you page views, traffic sources, time on site, most read content, audience geography, and more and then also you own all the content you put on the Squarespace platform. So if you decide to up and run away for some reason, they offer one click of data portability so you can take everything with you. If this sounds good to you, go to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Three-body problem, more like a three-body solution. Squarespace. (laughs) Craig, I thought a three-body problem was just what happened when I needed to get three people somewhere on my tandem bicycle. (laughs) But I don't think that's what this book is about. No. Uh I'm not sure that there are bicycles in this book. Mm-hmm. I'm sure people have them. I mean, it's it's like they maybe they don't mention pizza, but yeah, pizza yeah. probably still exists. You're totally right. That's exactly mm-hmm. what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I unless can't... somebody unless somebody turns to the camera and is like, "I sure wish somebody would invent bicycles." <laughs> You've got to assume that bicycles exist, whether you see them or not. Yeah, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I can help you with your three body problem, and. I don't know the solution to the titular three-body problem because I don't know that it exists. Mm. Well, no, no consistent answer to to a three-body problem exists, but it depends on the kind of three-body problem that you have and whether it's orbital or elastic. I read a little bit about (laughs) the the physics slash mechanics. I just watched you don a lab coat as you said. Yeah, I've got and like my pen exploded in my white lab coat pocket, and it's gonna be a whole thing. Yeah, um, it's a the the name is a reference, and we can use this as a jumping off point for what the book is about. Yeah, it's a reference to a problem in physics and mechanics. Um, it is quote any problem in classical mechanics or quantum mechanics that involves the motion of three particles. Yeah, so the classic three body problem. For us humans on here on planet Earth is the Earth's revolution around the sun and the moon's revolution around the Earth. So Correct. those three bodies yes. all like sort of orbiting around each other and the deal with the, the like the problem. So those are the three bodies. Here's the problem <laughs> is that they're 
the motion of those bodies around each other is unpredictable and they resist like a single formula or like closed solution that always consistently dictates how they move in relation to each other. Correct. Which in a two body problem Mm -hmm. due to just the way that gravity works, you can usually figure it out. You can usually figure it out. It's just me. This is me orbiting you, baby. Or the other way around, baby. baby. Hey, baby. I, I, who says this is a problem? I got a solution. <laughs> we got two bodies right here. You, <laughs> I got an, I got a algorithm. <laughs> you want to see my proofs? Um, <laughs> so yeah, there is not. There's like, and in this book, the the three body problem, there are mm-hmm. references to historical mathematicians and scientists that have worked on on it mm-hmm. that have contributed you know, unsatisfactory answers or, like, answers that don't, uh, that only address, like, a particular, like, setup or, you know, a particular set of circumstances or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I feel like this is, if you came into a scientist's office and was like, hey, I have a solution to the three-body problem, they'd kind of look at it and be like, huh, okay. I just don't feel like it would change all that much. (laughs) About like our understanding of the universe, I think like huh, you did, huh, you ding dang did it, good job. Well, I think it it has some implications at the like the subatomic level mm-hmm. that I and won't... we we are all about the subatomic <laughs> level here on Overdue <laughs> Podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. I, so I can't, I I really cannot pretend to know what's going on down there, mm-hmm. but it's... I I mean the, it's several levels above still is like a, beyond my understanding yes um mm-hmm. protons neutrons photons mm-hmm. um and so it my understanding that it's very important down there as well let alone at the scale of stars and planets and things mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. and where it factors into this book i i i still haven't cracked i yearn for an easy thematic mapping of the three-body problem to some of the societal concerns of this book are there like three people are there three entities like what are the if you had to identify three bodies what are the three bodies okay that that are causing all these problems (laughs) (laughs) um i don't know that i could identify the three bodies, which is but which is why I'm like I want that, but I don't know that that's there. Um, at that best, I can say that there are people who live on Earth that mm-hmm. don't know about aliens. Right. Then there are people on Earth who do live who do know about aliens. Yeah. And then there are the aliens. and then there's aliens. <laughs> that, yeah, no, that's, that's three a three body problem right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's exactly what he's getting at. I am also I'm hungry for um the brain power to connect the three body problem to some of the like cultural revolution stuff in this book which there is a mapping between the cultural revolution and the earth trisolaran organization yeah okay that's uh, quite a name that's that's a that's a sci-fi name <laughs> uh and so there is like this repetition of the ways in which um groups of people pursuing one end break into factions and uh kind of eat each other alive a little bit sure um which is what the opening of the book is about it as it depicts the cultural revolution we see it mostly through the eyes of this uh young scientist yay winji uh her father was a you know, physics professor at a university and we are bearing witness to his death at a mob of red guard students. Mm -hmm. Uh, The red guard were these groups of young people whipped up by Mao to tear down existing structures, um, declaring everything reactionary and bourgeois um, Mm -hmm. and kind of rebuild what he didn't like in an image that was more suitable to him. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And lots of people were, 
you know, purged out of political and social structures and people lost their lives. And that that is what is happening here. Academics are being kicked out. At one point, the Red Guard girls who are killing uh, Ye Wenji's dad are like, you know, Einstein and his theory of relativity is just a tool of the capitalists in the West. And like, mm. if you teach Einstein, that, you know, <laughs> yeah, he just did it so that you could build the bomb. And you're like, what? Um, and so she witnesses uh, this happening, and then she gets purged and sent to a labor camp in Mongolia mm-hmm. that is doing a whole bunch of deforest- deforestation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the opening section of this book is like her going through here. She she gets past this book about. Um, how humanity is killing the planet, and how um, <laughs> maybe we got a point. She's drawing some connections between kind of humanity's war on nature and the inherent violence of something like the Cultural Revolution. Mm-hmm. And she says, in kind of the the close narrator voice of the book in this section, it was impossible to expect a moral awakening from humankind itself, just like it was impossible to expect humans to lift off the earth by pulling up on their own hair. To achieve moral awakening required a force outside the human race. That's a conclusion that she comes to. Okay. And she helps this guy write this letter about this book that the Chinese government doesn't like, and he says, aha, she wrote it. (laughs) And... (laughs) She gets sent to prison and then gets conscripted to work at this thing called the Red Coast Installation, which is a giant antenna pointed at space. And that's like okay. the opening of the book. Yeah, I know that. I mean, you definitely, but both the description of that facility and the name of the facility sound yes. like a level in like Goldeneye. Yes, it's great. Like, it's it so like good. a level in a shooter game. There, and there's like a lot of like the people in the villages around Red Coast uh like some of them lose their hair in ways that isn't natural and like birds die randomly whenever it starts humming up and doing stuff like i i can just feel myself pl- getting excited for call of duty red coast <laughs> yeah, oh no <laughs> um so later on in the book we're going to find out what that station does we're also going to get a little bit more flashback of her so i think the way that um lou probably structured this book before the translation as we've talked about is everything i've just said kind of comes up after we meet her when she is an older woman um who is talking to our other main character wang miao mm-hmm. um and so he meets with her a few times and she tells him stories of her life. But in my experience reading the book, uh, we only are getting like in this interview format, her her time at Red Coast and things like that. We've already learned about all of the violent revolution stuff. So okay. I don't know. It's just interesting. I think what it does, it makes her almost like a secondary protagonist even though she's actually an antagonist in the book because you've been sympathetic to her in the first section. Um, whereas I think if you read it in the original order, Wang Miao is your typical protagonist because he probably starts the book mm-hmm. and then you get like a weird relationship with her. So that's just interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'll come back to her later somehow mm-hmm. when I start talking about the aliens more, I guess. <laughs> Uh, also, that that whole cultural revolution section was neat for me reading it because I was like, I know this is a book about aliens. I know I don't know if they're going to show up, but I know we're going to start talking about them. All this stuff has nothing to do with them, and it's fascinating. Like, yeah, I mean, it's it's it is maybe maybe it's there is a lot of sci-fi, including uh, for all mankind, aka oh yeah, show, Moon which show. Is a show that we like. All, lots of shows use like these small historical moments as this big like launching point for this whole extra like science fiction type yep. thing. Yeah. And I wonder like maybe it felt especially interesting to you because you just didn't have as much Definitely. context yeah, for, for the sure. for the history that it was that it was talking about. Like yep. maybe that feels even more um fictiony like putting for more lack of a better word in, yeah like putting yeah. more fi <laughs> sci-fi <laughs> because it already is is further removed from your own experience than yeah and there are know. footnotes that um ken lu added to the book that yes i i read about that like he he put in 
and in addition to just like changing the order of the book, he, <laughs> he put in some footnotes that explained like Chinese historical and cultural yes. references for for international and readers, it, which is it's a it's it is interesting to see a, a you know one of these activist translators, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and it's fascinating. I just I want my translators to be calling balls and strikes. I don't need these activist <laughs> translators up in here putting their own spit on things. Oh no. <laughs> um and yeah, I, what was for me not reading too much about how the translation came to be ahead of time, it granted the we talked you mentioned earlier about how hard sci-fi is like trying to root itself in reality and realistic science. Uh his translator notes footnotes kind of gave it a little extra verisimilitude to me even mm-hmm. though i recognize now that that is literally just the translator like kind of stepping in to help me a western reader but it actually in the moment kind of lent it this like well it is this is the science we're talking about this is the history that we're talking about and yes you're going to get to the alien part and blah, 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 but like it's rooted in reality um i don't know that that's not necessarily the the initial intended effect but it's kind of mm-hmm. what my experience was anyway sure. the hey let's have a sci-fi novel where some stuff happens part okay wang miao is a nanotech professor andrew Ooh, in that's beijing. one of the coolest kinds of professors you can be <laughs> in beijing mm-hmm. and he gets recruited by the pla the military who is working with other countries in a way that is surprising to him mm-hmm. to face some sort of unknown enemy mm-hmm. who is behind the mysterious suicides of many many scientists deaths or suicides of many many scientists okay including this recent one uh yang dong who winds up uh being revealed as the daughter of ye wenji who's the main character from the cultural revolution stuff mm-hmm. uh and how, we, how do we know about these scientists? Like, I'm just kind of curious how how much characters like learn on their own, and how much is like fed like fed to them or like so, screened by the government. I'm just I'm curious how the the government as a big scary entity works into the. It's the mostly a, the government in this book is mostly a military operation. Okay. Um, we mostly only hear about it in the context of these generals who have called this like special task force to figure out this mystery of dead scientists. Okay. Um, the other way into that world though, is Wang is part of this, um, uh, group called the frontiers of science. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they, they're into some weird stuff that a bunch of their members are some of the ones who are dying and a bunch of them, whenever they die, they leave notes that say things like like physics is gone or physics has ended. Physics doesn't exist. <laughs> like they've come they've to canceled this. canceled physics. Yeah. They've come to this really awful uh, conclusion or set of realizations that the world as they think it functions doesn't function that way. Okay. Uh, and so they think that is related to why these people are dying. They think that is related to some sort of unknown enemy that is causing this to happen somehow. And so Wang is being brought into this whole thing because he knew one of the people who died. Um, and he's paired up with this cop uh, who is named Da Shi, like a uh, big Shi. <laughs> Okay. Um, and I do think he is a fun character. He's a he's a no nonsense, you know, shoots from the hip, like says kind of whatever he wants kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's always talking back to the generals. His his rule of thumb is anything sufficiently weird must be fishy. That's his maxim. I'm gonna take that. That's I'm gonna take that maxim from yep. myself. Uh, at one, he likes to speak in some fun idioms. At one point, he says, "I'm a simple man without a lot of complicated twists and turns." You look down my throat, and you can see out my. Ooh, this is a family podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he that would be. I mean, <laughs> okay, we've already talked about how we're not scientists. I'm not a physicist. I'm not a biologist. Nope, but. You do, you need a lot of the twists. 
You do actually need in them there. Like those are. It would be hard. It would be tough not to have the twists. No. Yeah. Well, he's not a scientist either. No. Big she. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's a fun guy. Uh, he over the course of the book is the one who kind of presses Wang into thinking that there is definitely someone behind what is going on sure. here. Um, and there's a series of conversations that he has with a couple of different scientists. One guy, he hangs out and they, sh- they shoot a bunch of pool and he makes him carry the pool like table around his house to prove that the the reaction between the pool balls is the same regardless of time and space Mm -hmm. and he's like cool science right And he's like yeah okay he's like okay but in all of our particle accelerators across the planet uh stuff is not behaving the same way despite controls and it's kind of okay it's kind of breaking our brains and we don't like a sort of a three-body problem sounds like a bit of a three-body problem right Mm -hmm. and uh there's this like man where do I even go here um okay <laughs> it this escalates into he meets this other woman named Shen who mm-hmm. is another scientist who's like ah maybe you should just stop doing science like just kind of stop maybe you don't do any more of it and is this this just is rooted in 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 what like well she winds up i think i don't know man it's a little confusing <laughs> the if i liked this book we yeah i'm we, confused we can, by it we can once you get through whatever plot stuff you feel like we really need to get to i would like to talk about how you felt about the book because it okay. seems like even the guy who translated it was like this is too confusing i need to move stuff around to make it work better <laughs> so i'm curious to know how that like whether any of that well is still true so like, of of the the version of it that you read so i want so like one of the reasons i just got hung up is because there's like a a little passage where Wang is like, he's thinking about the crimes or whatever, but he's like, I'm just going to like pass some time. I'm going to go take some photos. I'm an amateur photographer. And he starts seeing little time codes in the developed photos. Like, but they, they change depending on the composition of the photo. And mm-hmm. they happen no matter what camera he uses, but they don't happen when other people use his camera. If they change based on the... Con- so, okay. so like if it's on top of something that is dark, the little mm-hmm. time code is like white. And if it's on something that is white, the time code is black. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I didn't know if like you know those those billboards or the little pictures that if you like look at them from one way and they're oh, one yeah. thing and then you tilt them no, another no, no, way no, no. and they're of another thing. It's not yeah. like that. Okay. Uh and he's like, What is happening? It seems to be counting down to something, and it's like this like weird mystery. Uh he starts seeing them in his eyes, and I'm like, What is happening in this book? And then he goes to that lady who's like, maybe stop doing science for a little bit. <laughs> she just pumped the brakes on science for and a minute. And he goes into his nanotech lab and he's like, hey, everybody, can we take like three days and just like, if you need to recalibrate the system, we'll just take a breather. And then the hallucination goes away. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what's happening here? Mm-hmm. He starts playing this video game. Okay. This I'm back on board. This, v- awesome. this VR video game called Three Body. You have to wear a V suit, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Now, a V suit is sort of like that thing that they sold in the '90s. That was just a speaker that you strapped to your chest while you played Mortal Kombat. <laughs> uh, but it is a full body suit, I guess, and you have a panoramic the full like, body problem headset, <laughs> uh, and it can simulate like hot and cold and stuff in your suit. Okay, seems dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so he logs into this. It's not. Isn't it? It's not an MMO. Mm-hmm. It does appear to have multiplayer. Is it like co-op or is it competitive or what's the great ex- question? Explain to me things about this this VR game. You go into Three Body, the game, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and you meet someone. Um, I think in his first time, he meets this guy named King Wen. And is they, this an MP- NPC or another human? I think it's an NPC. There are other parts when he's playing the game where it's it's unclear if he's talking to other players or NPCs. He doesn't even know. Mm-hmm. At one point when he's partially solving the three-body problem or proposing a solution uh, and he's being burned at the stake, uh, he is 
he named his character Copernicus that playthrough, and um, he's yelling. He's yelling at them. What is? I think I have it somewhere. Uh, you are nothing more than a program. As for the rest of you, you're either programs or idiots. I will log back on. He says. <laughs> I'll never log off. <laughs> and so um, <laughs> he named himself Copernicus, and not like. Eight zero zero eight five or whatever. Like, yeah, it's, it's not, a weird. It's a weird. It's game. So highfalutin for a username. It is like a physics adventure MMO, where like a sci-fi adventure MMO. So you go in, and you meet some NPCs or whatever. Usually, you meet some sort of king, uh, or emperor, or a pope, and they are you know. <laughs> the different types of leaders. Yes. Uh, and they are trying to solve the problem of this world that has stable and chaotic eras. Mm-hmm. Sounds a little bit like the three body problem. It because os- chaos is the problem. The chaos is the problem. It oscillates between stability and chaos, but it does not. It never has a predictable oscillation. Like the the eras will That's be part of the chaos. It is. Um, the eras will be random lengths. Um, and usually when you enter a chaos era, something bad, like, I don't know, everything will freeze to death or everything will burn in flames or something. Mm-hmm. Or like everything is pickles. Or I didn't <laughs> see that whatever. one, but no, I'm just, I'm just coming up with stuff yeah. just off the dome. Yeah. What's, sure. what's the, how could I introduce chaos into the, everything is pickles. The yeah, everything's uh-huh. pickles. Pickle Rick. Um, and Ooh. wow. <laughs> He's, he likes chaos, right? Yeah, I guess. Love with double love, love with Rick and Morty. <laughs> he uh, Wang Sichuan does. Sauce. He's playing like, this game. Yes, yeah, yes. Um, and <laughs> what happens in this world in this video game is that the NPCs can all dehydrate themselves, mm-hmm. and water seeps out of their body, and then you can roll them up like a little carpet. Oh, and they're just like the little dinosaur sponges. Yes. <laughs> okay. And that's how you protect yourself when you're going into a chaos era. Uh-huh. And then in the next stable era, whoever survived will come along and rehydrate you. And then you will start contributing to civilization again. Oh, so the best way to survive is to get dehydrated, is to get jerked. And then. <laughs> oh, man. And then. Yes. Okay. And not, yes. not to be the person who is responsible for protecting there's, the jerky there's, that's the why jerky there's usually people. like a king or someone who's in a big protected building okay. who can weather whatever nonsense is happening mm-hmm. um and so the journey of playing this game is that every time you log on you try to help this civilization solve the the mystery of the eras which have to do with the sun or something in the sky and then you get pretty far and then you fail the civilization burns or freezes or whatever mm-hmm. and then you log back in another time and you try again and each time he logs in it's gotten a little bit further it's unclear if if he's playing in other people's games or not or if he's playing like a in parallel to other people that's kind of left a, a mystery um but the big like I don't know. He goes in. He's proposing solutions to. He realizes that the issue is that on this planet there are three suns, and oh, the three three bodies. We yes. found it again. I can't believe you said you didn't know what the three body problem was. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. So many problems. I got mm-hmm. ninety nine problems. They all have three bodies. And oh, ninety nine. Guess what? This divisible by three. Dang. I have thirty three three body problems. <laughs> Uh, and I would listen to Jay-Z read this book. Um, yes. Each, and... each comprised of three individual <laughs> problems for a total of 99. <laughs> no. He, Wang, is in the game kind of slowly working towards a solution. Um, and also he meets in the real world this guy who, whole other part of the book, he spent time in Buddhist temples. He has a brain for science, but not for book learning. And he came up with an evolutionary algorithm that can attempt to explain the three body, like solve the three body problem. It gets pretty close. Um, and Wang takes that knowledge into the game. And that's when he gets burned as Copernicus. <laughs> and then he comes back. And there's this whole scene, Andrew, 
where they're dealing with this king who has like 30 million like warriors and laborers and i think he's copernicus again and he's there with like isaac newton and some other people and they're like what if we build a computer out of all these people Mm -hmm. we could do the math with all these people Mm -hmm. to predict where the sun is going to be and there are now it's minecraft (laughs) it is it is exactly like those youtube videos of minecraft or little big planet where you use the systems in the game to create a bunch of binary gates uh uh, to create a giant computer yes it's very fun and silly Mm -hmm. um at one point they teach some people to use more than one flag because it's a bunch of like black and white flags that some people have multiple flags for a more complicated processor system. Oof. And then there are scribes whose goal who has to who have to write down the result of the intermediate computations and they're like the short-term memory and that's a bottleneck for processing in this giant person computer. Ooh, it's very fun stuff, right? Yeah. Um and then as they get close to it they're like, "Wow, the calculations seem off even though there's one sun in the sky." And this guy's like, nah, man, there are three suns, but they're all right behind each other in a line, and it's causing a big, crazy gravity disaster, and now we're mm-hmm. all floating into space. Mm-hmm. Um, so the game is fun. It's very mm-hmm. strange. Mm-hmm. After this gravity disaster, there's like one or two more playthroughs that result in um, this society building a bunch of spaceships and saying that they need to leave their planet because the three suns are going to eat their planet. Mm-hmm. They're the Trisolarans. My large adult sons. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> at this point in the real world, after one of the playthroughs, um, Wang has been invited to meetings of the ETO, the Earth Trisolaran Organization. Okay. Um, Bachman Turner ETO. Uh, <laughs> and he starts learning about this group uh, that is interested in, they built the game as sort of a recruitment tool mm-hmm. to get people on board with this society. It's that like was... the army army uses those video games to train people how to uh-huh. kill people with drones or whatever. Uh-huh. And this kind of secret but not so secret society is dedicated to this alien species. And you're learning this alongside learning about the uh the real story behind the big antenna that was sending signals into space. The Red Coast one. The Red Coast one. And you get more of her story where she tells you about how she... This Is this real science? Craig doesn't know. She learns that if you send a signal into the sun uh-huh. at the exact right frequency, mm-hmm. it can echo and amplify the signal such that... Uh, a civilization, you know, another star system away could actually hear it. This is based on some real so like Soviet scientist stuff. That sounds I think. That sounds about right. I don't know if it's real. I mean, I saw Star Trek Four where they take their ship and they slingshot it around the sun to go back in time, and that's based that's on real science. Basically so. real, yeah, yeah, it's basically real. So this sounds real to me. Um, you're just slingshotting audio signals around <laughs> yeah, the sun. It's just a podcast. You're sitting in the space. Mm-hmm. Um. I like I like this whole section of the book where she's talking about her making first contact with the aliens, um, partially because it's told through redacted government documents where you get to read the first draft of what China wanted to send into space. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's all this stuff about how the different superpowers would maybe kind of uh, like Bogart connection with the aliens if they got it first and not tell anyone. <laughs> Okay. Um, and so the first draft is like, attention, you who have received this message. This message was sent by a country that represents revolutionary justice on Earth. Before this, you may have already received other messages sent from the same direction. Those messages were sent by an imperialist superpower on this planet. That superpower is struggling against another superpower for world domination so that it can drag human history backwards. We hope you will not listen to their lies. Stand with justice. Stand with the revolution. Wow. And there's a note from like somebody in the documents is like, this is garbage. We can't send this. It sounds space. desperate. You can't send this desperate message into space. This the horrible, sweaty message. The aliens will be like, no, delete this number. I don't. 
This is wild. This is some wild stuff. So she secretly sends the better message that had been written, which is like, hey, we're a planet. We've got some problems. We're but-, totally, but we're totally chill. and We're down to clown and we're 420 friendly and <laughs> come hang out. Yeah, come hang. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're trying to build an ideal society. We look forward to working with you to build one in space. And eight years later, she gets a response that is like, hey, don't answer this message. I'm a pacifist on this other planet. And we don't know what star system your message came from. But if you send another one, we will know and we'll kill and, you. Yeah, we'll come kill you. Mm-hmm. And she responds. No, don't do that. That's what, she, that's what he said not to do. She responds. Come here. I will help you conquer this world. Our civilization is no longer capable of solving its own problems. We need your force to intervene. Uh, hmm. what could possibly go wrong? And that's where the whole ETO comes from. There are factions within the ETO. Some people want this kind of aliens come kill us. Some of them want to save the aliens. Some of them just want to survive the war. Uh, there's a whole bit where um, she meets this oil baron's son who also hates humanity, who builds his own satellite on a big boat. That they use nanotechnology to cut into pieces. I like that part of the book. It was kind of fun. Um, and then, Andrew, the last section of the book mm-hmm. is almost exclusively from the point of view of the aliens. Ooh, awesome. Because they have been communicating. Do, do they seem cool? They're, <laughs> well, it's weird because you're like, you spent most of this book in the game. And over the course of the game, you're like, did the aliens make the game? What's going on? What's happening? But do, I guess, do they seem, when you're in the headspace of the aliens, like, do they seem relatable? Do you feel like mm. you are in the head of a sympathetic character whose, like, motivations you understand? Or is it completely, for lack of a better word, is it a completely um, alien sensation? It is. It is somewhat sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because you first are introduced to them through that pacifist character who received the message. Mm-hmm. And he gets in trouble by being like, I don't know, man, our civilization is messed up. Maybe we shouldn't go ruin this other civilization. Maybe we shouldn't impose it on other people. Maybe yes. we shouldn't do space imperialism. Yes. Um, and then there's this whole kind of like peek behind the curtain of what's been going on in the book where... They're sending stuff here. They realize that by the time they reach us, um, we will have better technology than they do. So then they they use, I don't understand what it is, pico-dimensional technology. Yeah, that to, sounds right. To put computers into little protons called sophons. And then they mm. and then sounds, com- sounds comfy. And then they send them. So fun. They send them to us instantaneously, uh, and those little sofons are flying around the Earth, messing up our particle accelerators, so that we will never fully advance in science. They're also causing all the stuff, like the little hallucinations in the guy's eyes, to trick us into thinking that science doesn't work, so that we will not progress as a society. So that by the time they get here, we're just bugs. Uh huh. Uh, crabs everything wants to be crabs and the book ends with them learning that we know about this plan that they've been doing and they call us bugs to our eyes they send a Mm -hmm. message into our eyes and say you are bugs Mm -hmm. and then it ends with the characters the the main characters we've been hanging out with being like i don't know man we've been trying to kill bugs for years and they're still here it's true bugs are very resilient i've learned that about bugs so that's the three body problem mm-hmm. i had a good time yeah did you like it i did it seems like it, it receives a lot of acclaim but books that receive a lot of acclaim aren't always easy nuts to crack no i think some of the i'd be interested to know what you found if you found anything from folks who like didn't dig it i was surprised people in our discord who were reading along in advance seemed to have mixed opinions mm-hmm. um i i dug it pretty much all the way through though i do think that the um i don't know the motivations of the two characters who are like the 
primary people responsible for helping the aliens are pretty like pat like it's pretty mm-hmm. like it almost feels like a parable um mm-hmm. of like you know the young woman whose family is killed in the cultural revolution is like oh humanity bad i'm gonna help the aliens that is actually more developed it's the guy who's like an american disillusioned because of an oil spill that his family caused and is like i want to help birds i hate people now aliens let's let's work together and, and kill all the people mm-hmm. um that part feels more like uh a little under, I don't know, underwritten. He's not a real character. He just kind of shows up. Yeah, that's the to to talk about a character who's not a real character. That is the topic of many of the three star Goodreads reviews mm. that I sure. found. Is um, yeah, this is from Petrick. The three body problem may be one of the most critically acclaimed sci fi novels of our modern age, and in my opinion, it truly deserved the recognition the recognition for all the sci fi ideas and narrative, but not for the characterization. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's another one from, uh, from Rachel, the book harlot. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Rachel. (laughs) Who talks about, you know, the buzz, the accolades. Does it deserve all the hype? In some respects, I can see why it's garnered so much praise. The science is fun. There's some interesting philosophical concepts and the world building is also interesting. However, that for me is where the praise ends, where the book fails is in the basic fundamentals of what makes a good story, writing, Mm. characterization, pacing, and plot. Yeah, so I don't know. Some of that just didn't bother me. And it's always, for me, hard to judge that kind of stuff in a translated yes. book also. Like, like even harder than it is in a, in a regular book. Yeah. It, <laughs> well, not a regular book, but <laughs> in a, a, book book ri- a book written in the language that I natively speak and yes. understand. <laughs> yes, fair enough. I also think it's, like, from a, a genre perspective, it is... It is it's not that it's disinterested in character. It is more interested in the scientific method, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this, to, for an example, like when we get into the section where the aliens are like using some of their last resources before their three sons eat their planet alive to build these tiny little Sophon computers that require a lot of resources to make tiny little computers. Mm-hmm. And. They do it a few times and mess up. Like they try it involves like this these things that can be eleventh dimensional and they try to have they try to build them in three dimensions first. Mm-hmm. And they mess up and they make mm-hmm. like one dimensional things and five dimensional things. And I was reading I'm like, why why is this happening? Why do, <laughs> I don't even really know any of these aliens. Like he's really not he's not naming any of them. It's just like they're just talking through the process. Well, and you probably it, it, it's it seems like one of those when you're talking about eleven dimensional computers, it sounds like at some point you will be told that you, the a puny human, couldn't possibly understand it. It's like the point in every like sci-fi alien like book or game where a character says, "Oh, you couldn't you you couldn't pronounce my name, so call me Carl." <laughs> sure, the, yeah. I think the book is really resisting the um, science becoming magic trope thing mm-hmm. it really it's is hard, it's hard science it's it hard. is it, because it's like it's, it's like that lemonade that mike makes it's hard <laughs> i do like that mike personally makes all those bottles of lemonade it's his lemonade um even it it does like kind of yada yada the fact that after three or four dimensions like we just can't perceive it mm-hmm. um but it does attempt to root it in the theoretical science, I think. It is interested in what we think we understand about like quantum entanglement and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's not just like magic space telekinesis, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the bits where characters are kind of coming to incorrect conclusions or trying something and failing doesn't seem to be about a character growing in the conventional narrative sense as it seems to be about this is how science works and this is how we better understand the world um and better understand the systems that we live in sure um and i again i think there's some resonance probably with all (laughs) the cultural revolution stuff that i'm just it just kind of escapes me as i like i devoured this book in like two or three days um really enjoyed the read and like i think i get that those connections are there but i couldn't describe them to you which is maybe because they're in a different dimension 
I'm not sure. Maybe like I I mostly have a grasp on the three that I know about. But fourth is time. Well, fourth is time. Okay, so I know about well, like I know that one exists. I wouldn't say that I have like I, I have uh, mastered that <laughs> that particular dimension. Sure. But, um, and the the thing that will probably stick with me from this book the most is just the it being a first contact story that is explicitly interested in um the way that contact with an alien species would not immediately unite us that's like a big part of like the middle of the movie arrival right mm-hmm. is like the tension of will humanity unite in or will it destroy itself because of sure. these aliens mm-hmm. um i found this book depiction of that whole situation pretty interesting okay um, and and that it is mirrored in the way that when the Trisolarans hear from us. Uh, yeah, because the, cool the typical course for that is like, you know, humanity loves uh, loves othering people. And the one thing that could get us to stop othering each other is to find another even otherer other. Yes. And and what this book says is... An other other from another other. <laughs> what this book says is <laughs> in that othering, we would find our own factions and divisions that would cause problems sure, yeah. before we could even reach that part. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how that gets addressed in the next two books. Um, maybe I'll read them. Who knows? Yeah. Um, sounds but, like a, a one book problem. Yeah. Because yeah, you only read one and there's three. Yeah. And I honestly, until the alien stuff happened at the end, I felt like this was a pretty self-contained book. Mm-hmm. And then it really dug deep into yo those aliens are coming for us and i was mm-hmm. like ah dang there are two more books <laughs> it didn't it didn't feel like a books i think some people have criticized it for feeling like it's setting up a trilogy and mm-hmm. i didn't feel that way until literally the last like you know 20 pages of the book yeah i mean i do i don't know it's hard, it's hard cuz we you know you read all the stuff about um about how it was changed in translation yeah like, yeah in 2006 to 2008, when it was originally being written, maybe it wasn't originally thought of as yep. like setting up yep. a thing. But then by the time it had been translated in 2014, like both of the other ones had already come out in China. So like it, it was known that it was sure. setting up a couple of sequels. And I, and I guess. But too, it's always like it, we, we've read a million yeah. books where it feels like, oh, this is trundling along and it's its own thing. And then it ends really abruptly because it has to set up another. Yeah. Yeah. Thing after like, it, you know, it could be a completely mundane, typical book problem also. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably true. Mm-hmm. A typical book problem. Cool. Well. That's the, that's the book. That's the three body problem. I didn't solve it yet. No, well, I mean, we only have two bodies here, like we talked about. So the third body is the listener. Whoa, cool. We figured it. Out. We solved the problem. <laughs> solved it. Um, if you, the listener, the third body, the in third our body, problem. and it, you know, it is it is unpredictable how Craig and and me and the listener all like revolve around each other <laughs> sometimes it's pretty chaotic if you have any thoughts on how it works uh you can send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com or hit us up on social media at overduepod thanks to tabitha cheryl leah rob melinda ziggy tom jeff and more i don't know if that's cartoon ziggy it's i think it here is on my list the, i think it is the cartoon skin blob ziggy who is Great. ziggy us. thanks for listening thanks zig our you seem depressed. <laughs> I hope you figure it out. <laughs> Our theme song is composed by Nick Larangis. Andrew, folks want to know more about the show. Where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to the books that we have read and are going to read. You can click those. They take you to bookshop.org. You can buy the book. You get a book. We get a cut for sending you, and your local independent bookseller gets a cut because you actually bought the book from them. Hey, middle middlemen are good, actually. <laughs> <laughs> in 2023 uh, pat- middlemen are good patreon.com slash overdue pod is where you go to donate money to us directly buy us equipment buy us books buy us web hosting um and you also get some stuff in return you can come to our discord server you can get bonus episodes early you can participate in our uh bonus episode recordings uh that's it's a lot of stuff there's a lot of fun stuff yeah um so february 
Let's oh talk boy. about it. Let's talk We've about got, it. So this is it's going to be our 10th anniversary. February 2013 is when we started releasing episodes of this show. Convinced yep. in our heart of hearts that maybe our parents and close friends would listen to it. And then we would stop doing it after 20 episodes. Uh huh. But now that we know, you know, we've, we've got some more, we've got some more experience. We've got some more listeners. We've got a lot of stuff going for us that we didn't have 10 years ago. We're going to go back and we're going to redo some stuff that we feel like maybe we didn't do an optimal job with the first time for one reason or another. We want to revisit stuff that's worth doing over yeah so for do february is do overdue month <laughs> and the first not craig's over gonna, redo month no craig's gonna read you the whole schedule next yeah. week i'm going to redo love in the time of cholera which was my first it was episode two of the show my first book that i read for the show i don't know why i thought you know what i haven't read fiction in a long time how would i start with gabriel garcia marquez that sounds awesome I am going to follow it up with Of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck, mm-hmm. the first episode of our podcast, mm-hmm. and the the, the. Er example mm-hmm. of Craig has a copy of a book that he brought home from high school English that he did not finish reading, that he never gave back, yep. and now he's going to do a podcast about it. Again. So, again. <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, then Andrew's going to reread The Secret History by Donna Tartt, a book I also ever read. So I would be interested to hear you tell me about it I again. just The people who like this book really mm. like it, and I didn't care for it, and I really want to get it this time. So I'm sure. going to try again. <laughs> Give it another go. Then we're going to go back to, I'm going to reread Persuasion by Jane Austen. I've been persuaded by my yeah. own conscience that... We'd maybe missed some stuff in our first. I think that was our first attempt at Austin because you didn't yeah. do Pride and Prejudice till later. No. And we're going to get it exactly right this time, I think. Yes. And mm-hmm. Andrew has read a lot more of that era of fiction since. So I'm excited yeah. to have him tell me what I missed. I'm an old hand. Yes. Uh, and then by the time that the schedule comes out on social media, we will have um, our bonus episode chosen by our Patreon supporters. Um, actually, by the time of this airing it'll be chosen so yeah uh, we are going to revisit three books in which we chose some adventures and we chose poorly mm-hmm. um we're going to revisit one of them it will either yeah. be you are a shark ghost train or statue of liberty adventure yes. three classic choose and adventure books where we famously like died during the tutorial level and did not actually yep. get to play the game <laughs> so that will be our bonus stream for mm-hmm. february if mm-hmm. you again as andrew said if you want february. to join us for that stream um you can head on over to patreon.com slash overdue pod all right everybody until we talk to you next week please try to be happy That was a HeadGum Podcast.